right. So we're talking about the seven factors of enlightenment and how it relates to both the, the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Noble Path, as well as uh, the actual path that is laid out in the sense of a time frame of various knowledges that one gains or insights mm -hmm. one gains that leads one into the state of being soda pond. And one of those later stages is, in fact, enthusiasm, that you get really gung-ho for the Dhamma, mm -hmm. the Dhamma Zealot. Okay. All right. And then the seventh, that's the sixth knowledge, and then the seventh knowledge uh, is um, the delight. Just become completely delighted with the Dhamma, that you've got it on the mind all the time and you're completely delighted with it. Okay. Uh, so as an outward um, gesture, in the West, we would assume anyone who is deep enough into the Dhamma that they would actually go to Thailand and ordain and take on the robes of the Buddhist monk would at least have some of the qualities of Sotapan right off the get-go. Yeah. In that regard, Sotapan is not that big of a deal. Yeah, so you, if you had all of the things that, yeah, if you had that, like, what you said, that zeal about you, then it would, like, make sense. It's like, yeah, you're going to Thailand, getting ordained. It's just kind okay. of a culmination. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, these qualities that, uh, that we develop, also, they are developed as a skill, but in the sense of the Four Noble Truths, when well-practiced, while the mind is in a really good state, when the mind is truly fit for work, when we can apply the mind to what we're looking at and keep it sustained there, this is, in fact, uh, also a state that's free from hindrances. Now, this state can actually arise in a conversation, mm -hmm. if, the, if the student and the teacher are talking about the Dhamma, then the student can gain inspiration from that Dhamma, really get into it right there in that moment, follow along with zeal what the teacher is talking about, and he is in first jhana. It's a natural state for us to be in. Why? Yeah. Because we're uh, discussing and having thoughts that are wholesome. Mm-hmm. And that's the brilliant part about it, is, is that the Dhamma is wholesome. Therefore, it is something wholesome and worth thinking about. Yeah, you would naturally gravitate towards, like, wholesomeness. Right, exactly. Not only that, but just thinking about it or mulling it over in the mind is not really what we're talking about here, but rather investigating it in the sense of the, the moment here now. Mm. The example would be, am I in the state of third noble truth? Is this freedom from suffering right now? Yeah, 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 yeah. Good stuff, good stuff. Mm -hmm. right. no, no suffering. <laughs> okay. Ah, with a good breath. So this is the way that we begin to see things is, is that the Dhamma itself has the quality of wholesome for it. Mm -hmm. And that we become inspired by it. And yet the other way of practice is by sitting on the floor and, and letting the old hindrances and the old daydreams and all of that stuff come out 
up only to chase them out again <laughs> if we're practicing correctly or mm-hmm. sit there with it. All right, that's what the problem with the silent meditation is all about is, is that the mind necessarily is not on its own focused. Mm-hmm. And so that silent meditation, getting away from it all and then dealing with those hindrances is actually a good practice. But okay. the good practice is to practice so that you can manage and get into this really good state that one will naturally fall into when we're talking on the Dhamma. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And is that kind of, you mentioned like, what, two elements of it, like, you know, we're talking about the Dhamma, um, uh-huh. we have, is the practice the Sangha? Or is that kind of like the triple gem, or is that... Cause okay, in, the, in the regard of the triple gem, yeah. and adding in the Sangha, the real point of the Sangha let us say that the first thing is the, uh, is the first inclination is, is that it provides a lifestyle that has been capable of working in various state ways and, and whatnot uh, yeah. since okay. the time of the Buddha. But it yeah, did too. arise in the time of the Buddha in the circumstances of, of uh, uh, the area where it was okay for religious mendicants to go around begging for food okay so yeah that's like the structure that allows people to like really dive in um and live in a way conducive to like the buddhist maybe it's not so much dive in as it is just checking out that makes sense yeah just like what we were talking about like what the defilements and like it's literally getting away from the world And almost invariably, the monk will bring bits and pieces of the world into the white with him. He'll still have a passport and such. Mm-hmm. Okay. So okay. He, bit, he brings in bits and pieces of the world in. But basically, the whole idea is to find a way to completely escape. Mm-hmm. And so that's basically the lifestyle that I have. I've, I've completely escaped from the world except for that little tidbit about, you know, uh, government visas and uh, passports and social securities and all of that. But that's their world, you know. Yeah. Uh, The thing of it is that getting away from it all, we need to practice that on a regular basis, whether we, one, make it a complete lifestyle, or two, make it a time every day that we sit on the floor, or three, fall into that state of mind at any point in time that we remember to. Mm-hmm. Okay. To get out, literally out of the world. But the world, in fact, there's something that's in the connections in the suttas that's very profound, but we don't recognize it. And that is, uh, can be seen in the various definitions of the word Mara or Maya. Mm-hmm. All right. If you look at all of the definitions of Maya, you can see that actually they're just aspects of the same thing. All right. One of the words then for Maya would be translated as the world. Mm-hmm. Now, and that's the, that's the key to all of this. The other one would, it, would be that uh, Maya is translated as a monster or a devil. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
in other cases is referred to as the hindrances in the mind. So these are the three uses for the word Maya. And Mara had three daughters. If you look at it from Mara had three daughters angle, then you're seeing that Mara is actually the second noble truth, the cause of suffering. Because of Mara is um, the father of, or the source of suffering, is greed, ill will, and delusion. But there's a catch to that that's really profound. And that is, is that it's not the devil, greed, ill will, and delusion. It's really not the world, greed, ill will, and delusion. It is our own mind that causes our suffering is our own internal greed, ill will, and delusion. And by recognizing it that's inside, that puts the responsibility squarely on who's going to have to fix this because you see the whole world is looking for a solution to life's problems on the outside in the world. So some go to a psychologist. Some go to a psychologist or a shrink or a medical doctor. Some go to a lawyer. Some go to an accountant depends upon what their problem is. But the point is, is that they always think that I can get help from the outside because we got into the habit of thinking that way when we were really little kids, that no matter what the kid gets into, the parent is really the one who's responsible, right? Mm -hmm. And somewhere along the line that changed around and we don't quite like it so much. We enjoyed being not responsible, too immature. Now, that's got some drudgery built into it, and that is, is that there, there's a cage that every, every animal is put into. Okay? What yeah. do I mean by a cage? The cage is the cage of rules. Yeah. This way. This is how you should behave now and forevermore. They give you a cage to live in. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's very, very similar to the cage that they have for the dog. A doghouse. We live in a doghouse of rules. So my mind's looking at the, well, you're, you're explaining like Mara, there's like a few ways that are, that this is described in the Dhamma or um, in that like, it's our mind looking at the world and coming up with rules and things like that. And that is like kind of the cage that you're talking about. It's like the... Oh, and so you could say this, that there is the physical planet Earth, and we can call that the world. Mm -hmm. Now let's not talk about that and call something else the world, and that is would be the world of the human, the human society. And basically... Mm -hmm. What a human society is, is either spoken or unspoken set of rules or a set of behaviors, the way you should do. Mm -hmm. right? and, and, we, and we picked all of that up from childhood. And, mm -hmm. and as every child is born into that society, the society does change over time, but not very much and not very well. Mm -hmm. Over time, it does get better. Things are a whole lot better right now than they were in the Middle, a Middle Ages 
And then the seventh century AD, things were tough. Yeah. Yeah, boy, things have been tough quite a long. Humans have not been easy on each other or themselves. But it's a rocky path to get better, and it's a long and drawn out. And so what you could say is, is that our society itself started off very, very primitive, and it, the whole society was around survival. Mm-hmm. And it has remained that way up and not just into modern times, but that's this whole point is that society is here for survival. Yeah. And the idea is, is that if you join the society, you can survive. And if you're not in the society, it's really dangerous. Okay, so Mara is almost like the survival mechanism we have inside of us. Right. Right. Okay. Yes, yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. So it's this like is, this is instinctual. Keep us alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is instinctual. The scientists have actually two different names for. One is they call it the nesting instinct, and the other one they call it the herding instinct. Mm-hmm. That humans go into societies for protection. Just like a herd of wildebeest go into a herd for protection against their predators. Hmm. You go along, you get along, you join the herd. You have Hmm. to go with the herd. The herd becomes a prison in a way. Yeah, because what? Yeah, you have all these rules that Mm -hmm. everybody are using, like kind of these shared rules that everybody uses to stay alive, but at the same time, it's like keeping you from seeing things as they actually are. Exactly. Okay, so we could say then that that they even recognize it, the age-old quandary of freedom or security. If you have freedom, you have little security. If you have no freedom, then you can get secure. It's almost like every gate or every door swings both ways. If you can get out, something else can get in. If you close that door, it can't get in, but you can't get out. Yeah, that's that's very true. Yeah, if you can, these are like trade-offs almost. It's like, yeah, you can like work very closely in like the expectations of society, uh-huh. and like that's going to be put you in a safer place. So then we begin to see that the society that we grew up in is a kind of a prison because really things are not that dangerous. It is a sense of fear, not truly dangerous things that keep people stuck in the society. Hmm. But there is always the idea of the free soul. You know, what is a free soul? Is a guy who just does not conform with society yeah. and he he may go off on his own in physical distance or he just may go off on his own mentally they and call it eccentric or whatever because they won't go with the flow you know they're they're sort of in a wobble or, or whatever because they're not fitting in to the way that things are supposed to go in our society Okay, so the monks are taking refuge in, like, the Sangha, which is them being able to drop society. The real job of the monk is to drop society. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. 
that makes a ton of sense. So, like, I don't know, in the past, I thought it's like, oh, they just, like, join a monastery just so that they can practice their meditation. But no, it's like they're doing this to escape society and, like, live in a way to, or, like, be able to take refuge in the Sangha or, like, be able to and not real constantly have those things bubbling up. And the Sangha is a Sangha of friends. Hmm. So... This whole thing, then, is uh, the Buddha refers to it in the Pali as Sila Bhatta Paramasa. And Sila Bhatta Paramasa is um, translated often as rites, rules, and rituals, or better, more importantly, attachments to rites, rules, and rituals. Mm -hmm. But it's deeper than that. This is instinctual that the Buddha is talking about. It goes really, really deep. This instinctual uh, need to be part of the herd, which means we are um, absent-mindedly willing to take on the rules of the herd. Yeah, yeah, it's like the yeah deeply ingrained survival, like very bedrock mm-hmm. for humans. It's... Right, so this is really, really deep within us, but you can recognize that this thing, these things then come up to the surface, and when they rise to the level of the surface, that's when we call them hindrances. Mm -hmm. Okay. So So, these are okay. They're hindrances when they're at the top. They bubbled up to the top, and we can see them. mm -hmm. But they're run deeper than that. Right. So um, this. This basic um, part of the of the wisdom of the Buddha, the knowledge of the Buddha, has to do with um, the second noble truth, with the waking up and ridding the mind of ignorance. Mm. So then it can deal with the instinctual desires and wants and ill will. Because we have been dealing with those deep uh, uh, instinctual desires and ill wills ignorantly throughout all of history. And now it's time to deal with them uh, wisely. And so this is basically the state of Sotapan is to finish with those first three fetters of ignorance so that we know how to wisely deal with instinctual things okay yeah because you can't deal with them if you can't see them or notice them if they're still just like if you're still asleep if you're not woken up mm-hmm. so um the way that we practice to rid ourselves of these three uh lower fetters is through the investigation of the uh four noble truths hmm especially digging down in to recognize how the mind works. And in fact, there is no, um, let us say, permanent self. And that mostly what we will do is, is that we will not see that there are components there and that one of the components is this talking machine that is referred to as the parent ego state which is the voice of the Silabhata Paramasa. There is a voice that reads us the riot act. What is the riot act? Set of rules. Mm-hmm. 
And so we tell ourselves on a regular basis, you got to go do this. And then the child inside says, I don't want to. Okay. Go do this. No, I don't want to do that. Okay. So the point is, is that let's get that voice under control so the child can have the freedom to enjoy his life instead of resenting all of the rules that we've told and made up for ourselves. Yeah. I yeah. get it. Yeah, wait, so that ego, that's the voice that's like telling us those rules. It's like, hey, you need to do this. Like, I don't know, you need to go like get that job and um, so that you can like, I don't know, have a steady stream of money and then like retire comfortably and like, but there's this other part of us that wants to be joyful, um, but it can never like it really be joyful with right. this part just screaming at us. Because there's always this list of things you've got to do. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the whole art of meditation is learning to put that list, that to-do list, down, put it away. And yeah. If we're thinking, of, yeah. If we're thinking about that to-do list, then. I mean, that's never, that's not going to be wholesome. That right. seems like we're going to be like thinking about the future. We're going to be like ruminating over the past. We're going to be uncomfortable about we're going to be trying to figure out like we're saying like what's wrong with our current situation. Exactly. So now we can see, in fact, that that to do list is number one. It's instinctual that we manage and maintain it. In yeah. order to maintain our position in society, because it's dangerous to go against the grain. Mm -hmm. Okay. But in the what, we are free from the society, more or less, and to have a new society of monks. All right. Yeah. So this is a way of looking at it. That... Um, We can move from place to place physically according to where we are mentally. And that where we are mentally can change. That's the number one point is that we can change. Because the whole idea of the personality self or the personality view that we have is that the, it can't change. Once we've got the set of rules, the dialogue is set, our destiny is our programming, all of that kind of stuff, and that we have language in our, um, our uh, terms in, in English, something like uh, uh, the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree, the shepherd, leopard can't change his spots, once a crook, always a crook, once a liar, always a liar. You've heard this kind of language. Yeah. And, and it comes from deep um, ignorant beliefs in in a permanency or a long-lasting thing where the whole teaching of the Buddha is, watch closer now, everything is in flux, everything is changing. You can't tell what's going to happen in the next minute. Why are you worried about years and years from now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. Yeah, you can choose. I mean, like, I mean, like we've been discussing in the past, you can change, like, you can choose to think about something else. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not permanent. It's not. Because we try to live by the world. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now we begin to see that, oh, wait a minute, the hindrances of the mind and the deep stuff, the, the monsters or the devils inside, 
all came to us from the world on the outside. Mm. That we that we borrowed all of this. That our parents, our teachers, our uh, siblings, and we made some of it up to make it fit. Yeah. But we packaged all of this stuff together into what um, Sigmund Freud calls the superego. The superego, and the superego has a symbol. It's the pointing finger. That's the symbol. And you're pointing at somebody when it's talking. You're saying you, 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 you. And we say me, me, me. That's part of the definition of the self. Yeah. Because we pick up this, I'm the recipient of all of this garbage that I remember to point at myself and, and fire verbal bullets. Yeah, it's like whenever, uh, I don't know, if I feel discomfort or something, I don't know, like, if I have a sore throat or something, it's always like, feels like I'm pointing at something else. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there's a, I have to, like, when I'm looking at that discomfort, it's like, out there, and I'm like, ooh, I want that to go away. Mm-hmm. It's not like part of me in a sense. All right. So basically you could say here, wait a minute, in all of this mess, there can be a game plan. But let's look at it the way that uh, um, that Byrne did. But Byrne was talking exactly the way of Freud. And that is, is that we actually have three ego states and we can figure out that, in fact, this comes from three different qualities and actual areas of the brain to where we do have a frontal cortex, the human part, the smart part, the wisdom part, the thing that makes us humans, and that's the part that uses up the most energy and the most power, but it also is the one that tends to, when there's there's any opportunity to do so, it goes to sleep. In the sense that it doesn't have all the... um, uh, mechanisms all the cylinders firing uh would be a way of saying it okay so we have a dialogue then between the parent and the child the child Mm -hmm. ego state can be actually referred to then as the reptilian the old part of the brain that part which feels okay and normally we spend too much time feeling bad when, in fact, that same area of, of the brain is completely capable of feeling good. Basically, it has to do a whole lot to do with the amygdala. What's the amygdala doing at the moment? By feels, you, by feels you mean like positive or negative? Mm-hmm. Okay. Are we going to have dopamine and serotonin, or are we going to have adrenaline and cortisol would be one of the ways of asking the question. Yeah, are we going to, yeah, which chemicals are we going to pump? Are we going to pump, like, the things that, uh-huh. I don't know, like, the, the things that promote fear and, like, a continued stress or, like, the things that would promote relaxation? And So, when we're adults, we think of children in kind of two ways. Either a windy brat having a tantrum, which is possible, But also we see the uh, giggling, laughing, joyful child. And inside we can be either one of those things because we remember it from childhood. But it it winds up the messages that we tell ourselves out of the superego 
we wind up in states of feeling bad when we could be feeling good. Yeah. And so this is basically what we're talking about is, is that if the frontal cortex can come in to the point of saying, okay, superego, time for you to be quiet now. Mm -hmm. You've heard enough of your old hindrances and your old rules and your old everythings. It's time for the child inside to play. Mm -hmm. It's time to... It's our goal. uh And that playful uh, joy that we're talking about then would be uh, the the natural state that we would want to achieve or the first jhana. The first jhana is, in fact, got that pleasure. It's got okay, that yeah, like childhood excitement. Childhood excitement, free from free from like Mara, like the the rules, the cage that we've created, and we become very much like a child. Yeah, and it, yeah, in that way we could become we could investigate what's around us, like with clarity, without the overlay, like without seeing it through like society's eyes. All right. So this um, this working through the Dhamma, recognizing that if we are thinking about and applying the Dhamma to the present moment, that this is a very wholesome thing to do. And as we begin to discover what is Dukkha and staying away from it, we also begin to see that change and to recognize that you can change. But in fact, who you are is constantly changing. Hmm. It's almost like there's a different self with every different feeling. But somehow or another, we connect it all together and say, no, there's a me in there someplace. And the answer is not all the time. Yeah, true. Yeah, there's not there all the time. Sometimes we're altruistic. Sometimes we're watching the movie and lost in the movie. And now we've got all of our worries and cares out. They're gone. We can relax because there's no self. There's no past. Yeah, it's like there's some sort of smoothing out or like some stitching of like between the different personalities that we have inside of us that like make it feel like one continuous thing when it's not. It's not. That's the point. Yes, it's not. Because, and the reason why is because it's easy just to say, ho hum, it's all the same. It's me. Where in fact, no, with an investigation, you wind up finding there's quite a crowd in there. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's definitely easier just to like kind of be in a daze and just kind of accept like one transition to the next. Mm-hmm. And so when one thing pops up, we say, that's me. And then it's gone for a while and there's nothing happening. And this pops up and you say, okay, that's me. All right. Like I am angry. That's yeah. the phrase that we have in English, you know. A better way of looking at it is, this is angry. I see the anger. Aha, I see you, anger. Aha, I see you, Mara. And I'm not the anger. It's just, let me take a deep breath and relax, and I'll be fine without that anger. I was here before it came, and I'll be here after it's gone, and it's leaving. (laughs) There are, like, now that I think about it, there's, like, plenty of times throughout the day where I'm not, like, in that mode of like, I am anger or like, I am like this certain thing. It's just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. It takes like something kind of like firing for you to be like, I am. Right. It, it, it is so consuming. It can consume someone to the point to say, I'm just going to go out on the ocean and die. 
You guys can live without me. You don't need me. I'm just really angry, 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 angry. She doesn't mean any of it. <laughs> but it comes up in anger. Yeah, and then you forget all the moments when, like, that isn't there. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's definitely, yeah, right. I, I see that. And so in Thai language, that's called gu. Me. I. Yeah. A very strong sense of self comes up with anger. And it's kind of, is it like a, can you have varying degrees of that sense of self? Pardon? Is that, so can you have varying degrees of that sense of like self? So like, I guess like it feels really intense when like I am angry, but maybe some other times it's like, I'm hungry, like I'd like a snack and it's like a little bit more turned down. Right. That's the whole point is, is that the delusion is, is that it's just one thing. It's unchangeable. It's immutable. It's strong. Uh, it'll survive death. But, but now you begin the to recognize it's all over the place. It's weak. It's strong. It's up. It's down. It's here. It's not here. It pops up over there. And there is no congruity to it other than we're connecting dots to try to make it a self when in fact it's not. It's just various processes. Yeah. And that that the wisdom part of the mind can become part of the process. Okay. The wisdom part of the mind can become part of the process. So like as we're going about our day, we can be in Uh wisdom as opposed to like highness or like meanness. As opposed to the old process would be, you should get angry at this. This is wrong, okay? That's an old script that we're playing, an old tape. But if we weren't playing that, then whenever something happened, it just happened. And we weren't processing our new image of that is something that is worth getting angry over. Yeah, so like in wisdom, we would look at that tape playing and be like, oh, that's anger over there. And mm-hmm. rather than being like, I am angry, just be like, that, like there is anger, and like you would just like choose to navigate it skillfully. So a way that you could see that is, um, <laughs> the first thing that the, that the guy says is, they're angry over there. I'm going to go break that up. Or if they're angry over there, I'm going to have to take care of it. All right? So that's the first type. Now, later, after he's practiced the Dhamma, it's, they're angry over there. Yeah. Okay. The first one is no equanimity. Yeah, but it's not my problem. Okay. And then the third stage would be... <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Does not even mention it. All right. So uh, that in that first stage, I've got to go take care of it. Why? Because I've got some sort of rule inside saying that they're doing something wrong. Yeah. So you got to go take care of that. Mm-hmm. Second one's like, uh-huh. so that. So we've got all of this rule-based system in there about what's good and bad, right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that um, basically what it comes from is um, instinctual from the very beginning. 
And so each person is, is guided instinctually <clears throat> and then is strongly reinforced by society of hundreds of millions of people in that society over many centuries having the same delusional belief. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> and one of those, those delusional beliefs then that the society supports is the idea of an individual, an ego, a self, a personality, right? Yeah. Where in fact none of these things exist. What we do know exists is the body exists, feelings exist, consciousness in the sense of sense consciousness exists, seeing exists, hearing exists, touch exists. All right. So um, the quality of remembering exists that we can remember. And in fact, we do. And because we do remember, we use that past to process and make sense out of this moment. Okay. so in that regard, we've now called the five aggregates. And that there is no self in there anywhere in the aggregates there is no self mm-hmm. so getting to look at the fact that what self is is it's a process yeah or it's a an event particle part of a process that happens and that when that process is interrupted say through wisdom then the self may not even arise Mm-hmm. All right. So basically what we're doing is getting a very brief shorthand version of Paticca Samapada right now, which has these five aggregates and that when uh, we perceive something, we perceive it based upon our past, which means our present understanding or realization of something is actually um, polluted by the past. Which then, when that new image, that internal realization that we have made, that makes sense out of the outside world, we recognize we don't live in the world at all. We live in a manufactured world based upon experience. Yeah, I mean, and that world, like, comes and goes. It's not like a continuous world. Right, and so... consistent. It's based on... Yeah, like feelings and that it, are popping up, happens, or memories, and... right? And it happens automatically, <laughs> and so that that impacts us. What impacts us? Not the real world and the real event, but what we made of it. <laughs> and what we made of it has to do with our own past. Sure. Yeah. And so that's why when we do like Anapanasati, and like we notice like Ahamar, I see you. Like we we notice some of that like mm-hmm. bad feeling arise, we can say like I'm gonna think about something else, mm-hmm. and then that completely changes the color of like of how we feel. <laughs> Precisely so. So basically, uh, one of the major qualities of Anapanasati is where Bhikkhu Buddhadasa puts a, a really important point a really major stake in the ground right there. 
and that is between um, or actually on step six, right in the middle of the whole process of Paticca Samapada, where you basically have the five aggregates and all of that, coming up to that internal representation that's based upon the past. And then we're contacted, and Bhikkhu Buddhadasa says, mindfulness at that point of contact. In other words, we need to see what we're doing with stuff that impacts us. And when we see it, then we can begin to manage the feelings that arise with that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like, okay, sorry. <laughs> so yeah. when I'm sitting and it's like, yeah. I feel bad. That seems to like, there's a kernel of that where it starts somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so and right. that's what starts to be mindful of that kernel yeah. where it like is arising. That's, <laughs> that's what we're looking for. Yes, yes, yes. So mindful. And so the phrase to memorize, to, to take away from this uh, talk, is mindfulness at the point of contact. Mindfulness at the point of contact. Mindfulness the context, at the point of contact. The where it's arising. Contact is um, uh, not like a touch, but more like a shove. It's got a drive to it. It's got power behind it. That's an important mm -hmm. quality of it, okay? Like uh, they used the word contact when they started the old um, uh, piston-driven airplanes in uh, World War II, you know. Didn't have a starter, but they would throw the electricity and someone would deal contact and he'd throw that switch and the other guy would go like that and throw that blade down and off that engine would go. Contact, all right? So what we're talking about here is both the power and the force that gets the engine of feelings going. Yeah. That's what we mean by contact. It hits you. Okay, so wait, a it's that it's the it's the force and the do you say force in the location or force in the what was the other part? It's what drives us. It's what drives us. So there's like this thing driving the emotion. Yeah, right. Like it drives the emotion. Right. There's like the energy. Anger, there's a there's like a force driving that anger. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so you could think of it contact the way that a baseball is contacted by a baseball bat when it comes flying over the plate. Yes. Okay. You can hear that contact, but wow, is that a contact. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Oh, so yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's like, there's something, like, I don't know. Yeah, there's something, and then like, that makes contact with the bat, I don't know, whatever that is, and then it explodes, and or not explodes, but then it like becomes, literally like setting out, something driving that emotion. Mm -hmm. Literally that. setting something in motion. Mm -hmm. This is the drive behind it. In, in TA, they talk about five drivers, and they knew exactly what they were talking about, but they're interrelated and wrapped up exactly with the way that the Buddha talked about it, because, uh, basically, there are three feelings, three real feelings. The first feeling is, I like it. And that uh, the feeling of, I like it, with the drive, drives us into wanting or longing for it in the sense of ownership. Mm -hmm. the, the almost verbal thought, the unverbal deep thought is, I like it. 
and therefore I want it because if I had it around, I could keep having the liking feeling that I have when I see it now. Mm -hmm. Okay, I like it, therefore I want it. Is the natural outcome. Yeah. All right. There's another outcome, and that is I like it, I want it, therefore it must be good, period, like for all time. This is a good thing. Mm -hmm. All right. Why is it good? Well, it's, it's good because it's got value, and what is the value? I want it. That's yeah. the value it has. <laughs> and the drive behind that is the way that it contacted us and giving us the feeling of liking. Liking goes to wanting. Wanting can go into its good. All right. So this becomes, um, in the Pali, this is pasa contact, vedana, which is the feeling, giving rise to Tanha, that heavy-duty word tanha, which is me, actually the word itself means thirst, means being dry. You can actually hear the word tanha, and you know that it's just dry, just, ah, i got to have it, all right? What was the first one? Pardon? What was the first one? Uh, pasa is contact. Pasa? Pasa is contact. Then Vedana, or... Vedana, Vedana is feelings. Tanha is thirst. I want it because I like it. That leads to upadana, which is what we call clinging. Okay? So you can say, oh, like it. Got to have it. Got it. So okay. that's the sequence of events that happens. Is that we like it, therefore we want it, therefore we've got to have it. It becomes a need, desire, that thirst comes, turns into uh, possibly desperation. Okay. And so right. is it desperation, that like constant arising, or like that recurring arising? That's Based upon how much underneath there is of that um, mixing the ingredients that bring up that image then that leads to those feelings. So yes, people can circle right through that. That's what we call samsara. Okay. That gotcha. we'll use now to become our past like we did a child. Except that there's something that's quite brilliant in there that's quite useful, and that is that, wait a minute, if I always keep putting in wholesome nows, then that means that the old past that I used to draw my references from will more than likely be much more wholesome information. Mm -hmm. And therefore, my image will clear up and I'll be able to see things more uh, really like they really are. Okay. Which means in that way, we at that point in time, we are free from the hindrances because the hindrances muck around with our understanding of things but we can okay, see so we, and do a I good investigation when the mind is free from hindrances go ahead so we we try to be we put things into this like sack of like uh or the queue of like wholesome wholesome thoughts and things like that so that they're more likely to be like um in our experience so like as so thing okay I think I feel like I said that wrong, but yeah, we would we want to be in a wholesome state so that we're not clinging, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, so I guess like I, I was just going to ask like, um, so we see a point of contact or like maybe, I, uh, yeah, so we see a point of contact and is that the moment when we say, aha, I see you, Mara. Right. If we've got wisdom at that point of contact, then that can arise. In fact, in the meditation, we want to intentionally have that thought arise. Aha, I see you. Okay. Yeah, I, so that is a thought yeah, we I, have that's a wholesome thought because um, we're recognizing, I don't know, we're recognizing suffering or dukkha or dissatisfaction or whatever. Right. Um, Okay, so like, yeah, there's that point of contact. Or perhaps even the process of the manufacturing as such. Oh, the manufacturing of such, that point of right. contact. Right. In okay. other words, I don't feel bad now, but I let me think it over and I'll feel bad in a minute. Okay. Is it okay to say, aha, like at the latter point? So like when we see the feeling or when we see the suffering, or do we only want to say it when we see the point of contact? Actually... All of those things should be part of the investigation. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're all Mara, so. Uh-huh, exactly. All of it should be investigation one by one as it occurs. Whatever's happening in the present moment, investigate it to find out what's going on there. Okay, and aha uh-huh is like our investigation. Aha, uh-huh. is that real dukkha right there? Is aha, uh-huh, this is the, uh, the child of dukkha coming up. Hmm. Okay. All right. It's going to grow up into a full-grown dukkha. That's the eye. Right, so, um, and that full-grown dukkha can be mental or physical, in the sense of physical anxiety. Hmm. That when someone is angry, almost always everyone around they don't have to say a word, but people know they're angry. Look at their body posture and their behavior and and all of that. You'll see that when people are angry, they're really agitated and driven. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, in fact, this is a, a, an important part of police investigation. Just reading body language. The, the guilty guy is always, always going to act guilty. Mm. Why? Because he's trying to hide his guilt. Okay. So, yeah, we can investigate, like, yeah, we can investigate how our body is, like, are we tense? Like, how are we feeling? Like, these feelings might not arise specifically as, like, I am anxious. It could be, like, you know, the feelings associated with anxiety. That's right. But when we're angry, the neck will get tight. Our uh, blood, blood pe- bo- literally boils, right? The blood pressure goes up. Hmm. All right? People, the, the face will get red. All kinds of changes will happen. But the different kind of changes will be there for anxiety, but anxiety and anger are very similarly related. Basically, anger is when you know who to blame, and anxiety is when you haven't quite figured out who did this to you yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very like similar tone. And so um, agitation and worry, worry will get us, we can worry ourselves into a state. Mm -hmm. of of tension and anxiety and then some little thing will happen and we'll think that's evidence and now we know who to blame yeah where in fact it may not be their fault at all sure so like if we see these things all of this stuff built up right but if we can become aware of that the sooner we can become aware of it we can let it go and say never mind not my problem Hmm. and so by doing so what we're doing now is disregarding the old familiar 
story, the tapes, the, uh, uh, the parent ego state, the how things should be, rather than how things are right now is good enough, always good enough. Okay, and uh, yeah, I guess like, how do we, okay, like, I mean, I feel like the answer might be just do it, but like, how do we forget, how do we like go with those things? Okay, like one thing we can do is like make the environment better, like we can think of wholesomeness, like think wholesome thoughts, but then like, I think you brought up last week, it's like, no, you can just forget. Um, and is that just the knowledge that like, yes, you can forget that lets you do that? Let's put it this way. When your own mind becomes green, you naturally treat the world in a really green way. Here's an example of that is the environmentalists. They want to have a green uh, rally and say, all get in their cars and they all drive to the rally. Mm -hmm. And then when the rally is finished, they don't see any real value, but they drove their cars back home. Here I sit. I didn't drive to the rally. I'm greener than they are. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we can think of it that way is, is that many of the things that we want, because we want them, we behave as if it's important. But we need to look at it through wisdom to see really what needs to be done. Okay. On yeah, an individual level, what needs to be done is for us to check out of that uh, disastrous society and invite others to, to check out also. Okay, great. Okay, can I just to clarify, like, okay, so I guess one thing that's kind of helped me be able to, like, forget or let go of, like, a feeling would be, say, like, I don't know. I see, I don't know. This anger. Let's just use anger. Like, I see, like, anger. I'm like, maybe I started out as I am anger, then, like, oh, that's okay. Like, I'm angry. Sure, fine. Just let the anger be there and then kind of, like, slowly I forget take about it. Take a deep it. breath. Take I a deep take breath. Take a deep like, breath and feel good. I'm really glad I caught that anger before I hurt somebody. Yeah, and so like that seems to work for certain things, but it doesn't work for other things. So you're saying you have to, have to look at it through wisdom. So maybe like if I'm feeling like sloth or like I'm feeling not energetic, maybe the maybe I would want to take like a deep breath in, exhale and like really feel that energy that is not there. It's kind of like has to match. Good the, point. Yes. Is, I'm sorry. Is that accurate or inaccurate? Like I don't want to yes, make it more complicated. Yes. Uh huh. Right. Always taking a deep breath. That's okay. what we do. And if the anger comes back or persists, it's probably because of a thought. Mm -hmm. The right thing to do when we catch that is take another deep breath. Okay. Say, I'm, not, I'm still not going to act on it. So we can always take a deep breath. We can always choose not to act on it. You can always choose not to act on it. You can always choose to take a deep breath and be okay with it. Okay. Sure, but okay, so I shouldn't... You should. always can if you remember that you always can. If you forget that you can always do it, you may not do it. <laughs> so the trick again is sati. You have to remember that you don't have to follow the dictates of your anger. Don't have to follow the dictates of my anger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. I don't have to follow... Yeah, I, 
yes i i think with that particular like emotion yeah that like it feels like there's a shift to being like i am angry to like i'm not the dictate like i'm not the dictates of my anger like and it just kind of fizzles out like i'm choosing to be like not angry in a sense um for that, that yeah, is I feel like it's part, the same for everything. Separation. The key part is the separation. separation. You're not that anger. And that wisdom anger lets us you. separate. Mm -hmm. Okay. You so we, yeah, I feel like whenever I try to do anything, that's not good. Like disassociate. Yeah. So it's the disassociation, but it's not through like a it's through wisdom. It's not through a thinking. Well, the the we the wisdom is the anger is there. But it is not me. Therefore, okay. it is not in control. And so it would be the same thing for like sloth what or like I'm feeling. What is the wisdom. Okay, so the wisdom there would be like, I feel very sluggish. I feel like I don't have enough energy to meditate. But then I would see that and kind of back off. Or not back off. Then I would dissociate from that feeling. I would just have to I, like... Well... One of the ways when, if you use that kind of language, the, the, uh, the wake-up call should be tired, take a deep breath. Okay. Right now. Okay, this is time for meditation. It's not like, oh, I feel too tired to go meditate. If you recognize that you're tired, take a deep breath, and right now you already are meditating. Hmm. Gotcha. Okay, I, th I see what you mean. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I feel like my... <laughs> I don't know. My programming keeps making me find like little tricks and stuff for dealing with things. Yeah, those uh, those old programs about time—they're really insidious. We always keep coming back to this present moment. But it's coming back to the present moment right now. So, let me take a deep breath right now. Yeah, this is a universal way to approach this. It's not like a you know pulling different tools out of the toolbox. It's not like that. Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> exactly one one wrench one size fits all i guess is the idea yeah. of it, it gotcha. thank you very much yeah that and, makes sense and it's and it can be so stated so simply goenka had the phrase never mind start again mm. the buddha said dukkha dukkha naroda mm. bob marley says don't worry be happy <laughs> And it all has to do with this waking up to recognize I do not have to follow the old set of rules that I've collected over time. And I can sit here and do nothing and enjoy this breath this moment and relax. Because yes. when I'm feeling like I'm tired or gross, like I'm really just in like that uh, societal, I'm in that program state where I'm like, I am blah, 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 blah. Mm. Like, yes, I see. I see that. And so, yeah, I would wake up to that. I would see that for what it is, disassociate, and move on. I will not move on, but yeah. <laughs> Got it. Well, so now we've got kind of a little bit more of a game plan. You understand the process a little bit more now. Yeah, I think so. All right, good, good, good. Yeah, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll uh, try to say aha to those points of contact excellent keep practicing keep well, going keep getting that knowledge that you can do this that you're successful at this that you can clean out the mind come back to this present moment and enjoy it yeah you don't, I don't have to 
listen to the old crap. You can be happy right now. Yeah, that seems very important. <laughs> I don't know. It's like when I don't feel that way, like, of course, those things are going to stick around. But if I do feel that way, then it's so easy. Okay, well, we'll see you later then. Bye. Thank you for your time. All righty. Bye-bye.